Well, this week, the bulletin says I'm speaking on something, and um, last night, that changed. So we are going to continue our series on David, but we're going we're to kind of mix things up a little bit this morning, and I hope you guys are okay with that. Um, I just feel like, given the, the climate of what's happening um, in our world, um, that we just needed to kind of just kind of switch gears a little bit and, and sort of touch on some of the things that have happened. Um, I feel like every week that we have something new to pray about or talk about uh, something crazy that's happened in our world. Um, you know, in this week we had the we have, we have a coup attempt in Turkey and we had this this awful uh, terrorist attack in in France. Um, that just is horrific, and it seems like the 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 speed or the momentum of the things that are happening in our world it seems like they're kind of picking up pace and things like things are escalating and they're becoming more prominent and they're becoming um just more often and just it seems like they just get worse you know we thought suicide bombers and and things of that nature were bad and gunmen in in, uh, in Dallas killing people but now you know we have trucks running through people celebrating Bastille Day um, which is basically the 4th of July um, in, uh, in the country of France. So our, our thoughts and prayers are, are really with our world today. Um, but what I want to talk about this morning is, with all of this stuff happening, um, and we talked about this a little bit last week before we got into the message, um, before we prayed for Dallas, but about how much the Bible talks about unity and how much the Bible talks about what, uh, what a, an important thing unity is in the body of Christ. Um, and we also talked about a little bit about how the enemy loves to divide us along lines um, that he can divide us. And that is what we want to talk a little bit about this morning. What are we as the church, and that's not just our specific church, but big church, big C church, the, the global church. What are we supposed to do when we're faced with circumstances and situations like we're faced with um, in our nation and in, and in our world. Uh, I, I'm growing ever fearful that things are going to continue to spin and spin and spin and get out of control um, until, you know, we're on the oblivion. A lot of people say of World War III, and that's a really scary place, um, I think, for our world to be. So what do we as a church, what does Christ say, what are we supposed to do in times like this? And the thing that we have to do as the church of Jesus Christ is that we have to focus on what unites us, not only as churches, but as people, rather than what divides us. It's really, really easy to focus on what we have different. You know, we, can, we could divide this room this morning into different age groups. We could, um, we, could, we could divide this in different economic situations. We could divide it by careers. We could divide it by education. We could make so many divisions in this room this morning that we could almost have each and every person standing alone. And it's really easy as a society to focus on what divides us. Whenever the Bible, though tells us to focus on what unites us. So this morning we're going to look at a bunch of different scriptures, um, and, and we're going to move a little fast through this because I want to get the point across um, about just what the Bible says. If you have your Bibles this morning, turn with me to the book of Romans, chapter number 13. Um, and if you don't have your Bible, uh, you can pull out you know, one of your little devices um, and follow us on uh, the YouVersion live app. Um, all the scriptures and, and things we're going to talk about are, are there today. Romans chapter 13, 
We're going to read verse 1 uh, through 10. It starts off like this, and I'm reading out of the ESV this morning. It says, Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God. And those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists God and what he has appointed. And those who resist will incur judgment. For rules are not a terror to conduct good conduct, but to bad. What would you have? No fear of the one who is in authority. Then do what is good and you will receive his approval. For he is God's servant for you. But if you do wrong, be afraid. For he does not bear the sword in vain, for he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Therefore, one must be in subjection. Sounds like what we talked about last week, submission. Not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. For because of this, you also pay taxes. I totally disagree with that portion, by the way. For the authorities are ministers of God attending to this very thing. Pay to all what is owed to them, taxes to whom taxes are owed, revenue to whom revenue is owed, respect to whom respect is owed, honor to whom honor is owed. Owe no one anything except to love each other, for the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, you shall not have any other commandment, are summed up in this word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is fulfilling of the law. That's a big, long chunk of Scripture that's talking about a lot of different things. There's things about authority. There's things about submission. There's things about taxes. There's things about government. And what basically Paul is saying to the Romans is that the church, right, has been talking in the book of Romans about freedom in Christ. And so in the, the Roman culture, this, this letter is directed specifically to the Roman church. And the Roman church is living under the authority of the Roman government. Now, the Roman government were notorious for taxing their citizens almost to oblivion. And so what Paul is addressing here is he's like, look, you have to live where you're called. You have to, you have to abide inside the society and inside the landscape of where you've been planted. We can't come and go as we please and, and leave places just because we don't like what's happening. Now granted, a lot of us, if we took a poll in here, probably wouldn't like a lot of the directions our nation is headed. But we don't just pick up camp and, and move away, right? Because we're called here for a purpose. We're planted here for a purpose. And just because things in government doesn't go our way doesn't mean that God is still not wanting to do something in us, through us, and among us. You see, I think as Americans, we've gotten really lazy as Christians because we've never really had to put a whole lot of energy and effort into it. It's just kind of been like we can come and go as we please and we do what we want. And historically, our government has legislated things that have made us really happy, right? We always look back and we say, oh, in this era with this president or with this Congress or with this thing, that they, they legislated the morality that we were after, and what we have to understand as a church of Jesus Christ is we are in an election year this time and, and I think it's an important election and I think all those things matter. But I think what matters more is that we have to understand as the church that it is not the government's job to legislate spirituality or morality. That is the job of the church. 
God never instituted a president or Congress or Supreme Court judges to do his work. Now, granted, there's a lot of good people in government that are Christians and that, and that are helping do what they're called to do. But a lot of times we want the government to do what the church is responsible to do. We want the government to legislate morality. We want the government to basically make laws that make it more convenient for Christians to do our work. Because if this isn't there, if that's not there, if this isn't there, then we don't have to deal with those problems. They're taken care of. We have a moral majority, and therefore we can just kind of keep going through life. But that's not the life that God has called us to. You understand that this morning? God has not called us, as I said last week, to just be sitting in our chairs, going through life, and everything's hunky-dory around us, and, and all the problems that we're the most interested in are solved because we got the right Congress and the right president. Well, we see how quickly those things can turn around when different people are elected, don't we? And so what that means for us today is we have got to get busy about doing what the church is responsible to do. And that is to share the mercy and love of Jesus Christ to a lost and a dying world. That is our job. And we cannot expect Congress, we cannot expect Washington, D.C., you cannot expect Springfield or any other capital or any other government agency to do the work that God has called the church to do because he's not going to allow it. And I personally believe that God has allowed some of the things that are happening in our country to happen to wake us up. And you say, well, that doesn't sound right to me. I don't like the way that sounds. We don't like the way that sounds, do we? But if we look through the pages of the Old Testament and in the New Testament alike, and we see what happens when God's people don't do what God asked them to do, what happens? Typically bad things happen to them. The Israelites wandered around the the desert for 40 years. Why? Because they didn't do what they were supposed to do. They didn't trust God. They didn't listen to God. They didn't do what God had asked them to do. And we see time and time again, when Saul turns away from God, what happens to Israel? We see when the children of Israel weren't obedient, they lost battles, they were were regressed, and then eventually they're scattered all across the world and they lose the promised land. Why? Because they were disobedient. They turned their backs away from God. They got anemic, they got lazy, and they got weak. And they allowed the cultures around them to infiltrate what they already knew to be false. Now, does any of that sound familiar to us this morning? What we've done as a church is we've had it easy for the most part. We've been able to sit in our chairs and people come and, and, and we do little events and people come and we think, oh, this is great. You know, we've got our perfect little Christian utopia going here. And then all of a sudden, the game changed around us and we stayed asleep. And what happened is we allowed the culture around us to change us and to change this. And all of a sudden we're walking outside the obedience and outside of the place that God wants us to exist. And suddenly we're playing catch up. And suddenly we're running around trying to figure out what new gimmick that we need to do to try to, to, try to change things. And now today the landscape of our, our society has gotten to be where you, you can't really talk about Christian morals or Christian values or Christian principles because the, the media and, and the other side will, will oblivion 
these people. Guys like Tim Tebow. And I don't just talk about him because he's a Florida Gator. But he is a Florida Gator, in case you were wondering. And Tim Tebow is, is a fantastic young man. And they basically ran this guy out of the NFL. Why? Because in everything that he did, he gave glory to God. In fact, it was rumored on the internet that he was going to speak at the Republican National Convention, and it wasn't true. So what did Tebow do? He turned to Facebook and posted a video on social media saying, hey guys, I know this is going on, but I'm not um, actually doing this because I'm focused on this right now. And then you know what he did? He turned it into a gospel presentation of how God loves you, God has plans for you, God wants to prosper you, God wants relationship with you, and he preached the gospel message at the end, and the, the video has millions and millions of views. Because people were interested to see, was he going to speak at the convention or not? So he's preaching the gospel, even dispelling a rumor about him speaking at a political event. But he's run out of the NFL. People ridicule him. People do this. In fact, there's a, there's a book that, that's, been, um, that's been published that is talking about how the, basically the message of Christianity in our country is going to be completely silenced in the next 20 years. Why is that? Is that government's fault? I believe it's because that we've become a weak church. Again, not us individually, but probably us too, if we're all honest, right? We've become comfortable, and now we've become uncomfortable, and we don't know what to do about it. And so what happens is, when we find ourselves in these types of situations, our country as a whole is being divided, like I've never seen it before. We have racial tensions, we have religious tensions, we have demographic tensions, we have political ideology tensions. We have a far left and we have a far right and we have people in the middle and everybody in between and nobody knows which way to land. And so what happens is we continue to be divided and when we get divided, we become weak. And as a nation, this is what our country is facing at an alarming rate. Proverbs chapter 10 and verse 12 says this, Hatred stirs up strife, but love covers all offenses. There's going to be a common theme to this as we continue this morning. Mark chapter 12, verse 30 through 31 says this, And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. And the second is this, You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There's no other commandment greater than these. Now the context here is, there was, was a guy who asked Jesus, he said, what is the most important commandment? Because according to Levitical law, there's like over 700 laws or commandments that the people were to follow in the Old Testament. So he says, what is the most important thing? And it was really a trick question. He was wondering, what can I not do? And so Jesus tells him, he said, the first thing you got to do is love God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, your strength. Basically, with everything that you have, you're supposed to, number one, love God in your life. And he says, the second commandment is just as important to love your neighbor 
as yourself. And in that first chapter that we read in Romans chapter 13, Paul says the exact same thing. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and have any other commandment, are summed up in this word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. So Paul echoes what Jesus says. And he says, look, you can get into thou shalt not kill and murder. And it's funny, if you actually look at that list, it sounds a little bit like what we're seeing happening across the landscape of our, of our world right now. Adultery, murder, stealing, covetous, and any other commandment that's out there, Paul says, and Jesus says, that if you just love your neighbor as yourself, that everything is covered. Because if you love your neighbor, you won't covet what they have. And that one can be hard sometimes. Where I live in the afternoons, I can be outside in my backyard, and we live just above the lake, and I can hear all those people on their jet skis on the lake. And it's really hard sometimes not to want to be on a jet ski on the lake. And covetousness can, can come in really quick, can't it? You hear them zooming around, boom, 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 and you hear them laughing and hollering, and I'm sweating, and I'm like, man, I wish I was on the lake. Right? But every single one of these commandments are taken care of if we love our neighbor as ourselves. And this is super hard for us as humans because we typically just love ourselves a lot. Hear people say things all the time. It, it's amazing how selfish that we really are with the way we talk and the things that we say. Well, I would do that, but I have to, right? Or I can't because I, I wish, but I, right? Love your neighbor as yourself. And again, in Proverbs, it says hatred stirs up strife. And that's what's happening right now in the landscape of our world. Everybody's divided, so everybody's talking about each and every other group. Everybody's pointing fingers, and everybody's saying this, and everybody's doing that. Man, I'm about ready to, like, blow Facebook up. I'm so tired of it. It's either cooking recipes or somebody spewing hate. And I like to eat, but, you know, there's only so much I can cook in a day. But we've got to fix the divisions that are among us. And none of the problems that we're seeing, none of the social issues that we see, none of it is going to be fixed by hatred. The Bible is absolutely clear on that. And I think that we see the more hatred and the more division that we make, the worse things get. Love your neighbor as yourself. And imagine with me if our church, in our community, imagine if each one of us really took on what that looks like. You know, we, we talk in here a lot about how we want to change our community, how we want to be a church that if we were taken away that the community would fill a huge void because of the things that we're doing. And granted, we're doing some great things. But imagine what would happen in our area if each and every one of us truly loved our neighbor as ourselves. If we truly looked out for one another, no matter what lines of division 
that separated us. Imagine what would happen if you were nice to the person with the Hillary sticker. You're slowly getting it. Imagine what would happen if the person who, 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 who posts the, the libertarian presidential choice on, on their Facebook if everybody didn't jump on them and go, oh, you're just... Right? Imagine what would happen if it didn't matter what we looked like, what the color of our skin was, or what our socioeconomic path looked like. If we all just loved each other, and we all tried to do what Jesus commanded us to do, to love our neighbor as ourselves. And that doesn't mean the people that live next door to you. And trust me, sometimes I know that can be hard. Sometimes your neighbor doesn't get their trash can um, on time. And it sits there, right? This is apparently a sweeping problem in my area of the city, I've been told. I really was told that. I hope you get your trash can on time. Because the other younger person that lives around here, trash day is on Friday, and they don't usually get their can back up until Tuesday. I said, I promise you I'll get mine on Friday afternoon. The love... Your neighbor as yourself. And sometimes it's the silliest things, isn't it, that divides us? Things like trash cans. What would be better is just pull the trash can up for your neighbor. Do something for them. Love on them. We have got to pray for unity and for love. And I know that this is difficult. It is difficult because we're humans. And our human nature is to do the opposite of what the Bible speaks about. And that's why Jesus' kingdom is so hard for us to see in reality on earth because we don't love each other enough. 1 Corinthians chapter number 13 is the portion of Scripture that we're all familiar with. But I really want you to look at the words this morning and really listen to what it says. He says, If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but I have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all the mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all the faith as to move mountains, but I have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burnt, but have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It's not arrogant or rude. It does not, here you go, this is a tough one, insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. The scriptures are very clear about what sort of power that there is in love when we actually love one another. Love does not insist on its own way. What is 
God want from us during this difficult season of life, during this difficult cultural and, and economic and every type of, of ick word that you want to put on there. It's difficult right now. It's challenging. What do we as the church do? It's simple. We don't divide, we gather, and we love. See, it was pretty clear that love bears all things. That means even if the person that you don't want isn't elected to office, that love can bear it. Some will be harder than others. Love believes. Love hopes. Love endures. Love never ends. See, and he says prophecies will cease. And, and it talks about all these different things that, we, that sometimes we think are important. That, oh, this is going to happen and that's going to happen. And he says all of those things will fade away. But the one thing that will remain is love. He says, so if we can just do what God has asked us to do, to love our neighbors, that means to love our community, that means to have pride and joy and hope and expectation in the people around us, and to see what God sees when he sees each individual. And you know what God sees when he looks at individuals? He sees all the hopes and the dreams and the plans and the exact thing that he created that person to be. How many of you in here have children? Raise your hand. So you know when you look at your kids, and a lot of times even the second your kid is born, don't you all of a sudden have all these hopes and dreams when you see that child? Do you see them for their faults? Do you see them for all the things that they've done that annoy you? Do you see them for all the times that they broke something or got into trouble or went the wrong way? No. And maybe you have a child today who's on a bad path, who's on a path over here that disappoints and you don't understand. But what happens when you see that child? Do you see the disappointment? No, you don't, do you? You see all the hopes and you see all the dreams and you see all the good things that as a parent with unconditional love that you want so badly for that child. And that's why so many parents get into trouble with their, with their children when they get off on the wrong path. They continue to try to pour and pour and pour and pour because all they want is to see all those hopes and dreams realized. How much more do you think the Heavenly Father looks down from heaven and looks at the individuals that He loves and that He created and all the hopes and all the dreams and all the aspirations that he has because he created them for a purpose, for a plan, each and every one of us. So how much more do you think God looks down? And some of the people that we ignore and the people that we walk past, like Jesus' parable of the Good Samaritan. It's really easy to talk bad about those guys that walked around him. But how many of us walk around people each and every day and we have our laundry list of excuses as to why we shouldn't. But I want to remind you again that each and every one of these people, God loves. And God has a plan for. And what has he commanded you and I to do? To take up our cross. To die daily. It says to die to self. 
and to follow what he wants. And what does he want? He wants us to love. How are we going to change our community? Is it going to be by holding a big tent service? Probably not. Is it going to be by adding another class or another program? Maybe we tweak the music. Maybe we paint the room. Maybe we get new carpet. Any of that going to work? Big fancy building? Brand new building? Will that work? No. What will work? If each and every one of us in here love our neighbor, which means to love our community and love the people in our community, even the ones that are hard to love. It does not rejoice at wrongdoings, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears, believes, hopes, and endures. The Bible says in Luke chapter number 6 and verse 35, But love your enemies and do good and lend, expecting nothing in return. And your reward will be great, and you'll be sons of the Most High. For He is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. Colossians 3.14 says, And above all these put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. How do you know what perfect harmony sounds like? They were listening to some of those old like barbershop quartets and they had that great harmony. And you know what's amazing about, about music and about harmony is, is a lot of those, those barbershop quartet style things and when you get into fifths and sixth harmonies and all that kind of stuff, what happens is there's this thing that's created that's called a hanging note. And it's a note that's actually not sung. It's a note that's created by the harmony of the people singing together and it forms a note like out in space all by itself it's like poof appears and there's this note that isn't being sung when there's perfect harmony now on the flip side of the coin how many of you have ever heard some not so perfect harmony and what does that sound like it's kind of difficult. It's like the first couple weeks of American Idol when that was really popular and some of those people went on there and you're like, what are you thinking? It's hard to listen to, right? Kind of grates you a little bit. Makes the hairs on the back of your neck stand up for a bad reason. It's just awful. It's hard to listen to. It's hard to enjoy, isn't it? The Bible says... That if we put on love, it binds everything together in perfect harmony. It means that we come together. This is about unity. And it shows that if we all... But see, the thing about harmony is what? Everybody's singing what? A different part, aren't they? It means that there's differences. Not everybody's singing the exact same thing. Everybody's singing a different note. But everybody's coming together, and those notes, when we love, they, they create perfect harmony. You know what that creates? It creates these little magical hanging notes in the world that are just out there. And when we as a church of Jesus Christ begin to follow what God has called us to, it is not an easy path. Christianity is not an easy thing to do. It's really easy to point to hatred, and it's really easy to point to, well, you're different, I don't like what you got to say, so you just go over here, and I'm going to go over here. It's really easy to do that, because we don't want to deal with it. And politics and some of these things, man, they divide us more than anything else, don't they? 
end because we all get things twisted up when people start talking about the other side and we just don't like it. But imagine what would happen in our community if we could strip all that away and we could just love. Imagine what we could do, the difference that we could make in our community. At the beginning and the end of it, that's what we're accountable for. We're accountable here first. We're accountable to love. We're accountable to hope and to dream and to think the best of the people around us and invest in them and to see what God sees when he looks at them. Because when you were at your worst, guess what God saw in you? He saw the absolute best. He saw the hopes and the dreams that he created you to accomplish. So if we could only love, if we could only come together. And Jesus said this, that you will be known as my disciples by what? The love that you show. So we talk about discipleship a lot around here too. So what does it look like to be a disciple of Jesus Christ? It's pretty simple. It looks like somebody that loves their community. It looks like somebody that loves the people that are in their community, even the ones that are hard to love, even the ones that we don't agree with. Because it's amazing what happens when we love and we develop relationships even when we don't agree. It's amazing the influence that we can have in other people's lives if we're willing to live what we were called to live. God, we thank you so much this morning for your word. God, we thank you for the opportunity that we have to live in this season. God, that in this season of life, Lord, that we, we get to be your disciples, that we get to show love, and we get to, we get to try to, to change our world for the better. God, we know that that's your plan, and Lord, we know that that's what you want for us. But God, I pray, Lord, that you help us to develop a true love and a true compassion for those around us. God, for those that may not talk like us, for those that may not look like us, for those that may not sound like us. God, I pray that we wouldn't tolerate But God, I pray that you would give us a genuine desire to develop relationships and to help people become all that you've created them to be. Because that's exactly what you did in each and every one of our lives. And God, let us never forget the journey that we've been on and how far we've come. And that you never gave up on us along the way. God, we thank you for your mercy and your grace. And God, I pray, Lord, that we would be confronted with the truth that we are to love. In the mighty name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.